welcome to Catatonia, a cultural podcast about Puerto Rico, trauma, and unscrewing ourselves at a post-hurricane shock. My name is Huascar Robles, recording from Harlem, New York. So, I wanted to um, take our new episode in a direction not unlike the last direction, because in the last episode I spoke about statehood, but from the anecdote perspective. And I remember that I shared my anecdote of why I wanted to leave Puerto Rico while still embracing being a Boricua, and it had to do with homophobia. And today's topic has to do with the issues that are facing our LGBTQ questioning community um, because we feel that there are issues that have affected the community in the last couple of years, but there are issues to come uh, given the current administration. So I want to share some anecdotes as well. And with me, I have Alejandra Rosa, a reporter from Puerto Rico a narrative journalism reporter, which to me it's so incredible because that's my what I was um, uh, formed in and to see a, another reporter from Puerto Rico following the beautiful art of narrative journalism, it's very, um, it's, it's, it's indescribable. So I wanted to let Alejandra share a, an anecdote uh, that relates to this community in Puerto Rico. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, as Oscar say, I'm Alejandra Rosa. I'm a journalist and producer based in Puerto Rico. I'm 23 years old, and I grew up in a very religious family. I grew up going and visiting every summer to summer camps um, that will gather people from my age. I visited these uh, summer camps since I was a kid until I was a teenager. And I remember first uh, as a participant and then as a leader, before I stepped out, of, stepped out of, of church, I remember that every single summer I will go to these spaces and whenever church services will happen, there was, there was something so something will catch my attention and it will make me feel uncomfortable. During these summer camps that I visited since I was a, a kid and then later on as a teenager, I remember that when, when concerts will happen or church services, um, some of my friends will not look as calm and safe as the majority of the group. And uh, as a child, I always wonder why. And then as I grew up, I, I began to, to understand. And it had to do with the fact that in the middle of a service, sometimes uh, a preacher will come, start putting their hands on my friends, began telling them that homosexuality was a, a demon. And of course, that will put uh, my friends in a very vulnerable position. Back then we were children, well then teenagers, but 
we didn't necessarily have all the knowledge that we had available to understand what was going on. So I, that's, that's, I grew up experiencing that. And then when I became a journalist, of course, I, I started asking myself, what are those stories? What, what's, what's, what's going on? So I began researching, um, and that's that's how I wrote the story that I that I'm, we're here to, to speak about a little bit. I actually have a very similar story. I think a lot of Puerto Ricans do, and that's why we're talking about this. I also grew up in a very uh, evangelical family. It wasn't always evangelical. As a matter of fact, it was a period of atheism in my life I think probably the happiest one <laughs> then <laughs> Catholicism and finally somehow we ended up in in a in an evangelical church um, but there's a reason those summer camps are important the retiros right yeah. it could be in the summer they could be at the end of or, or a long weekend mm -hmm. and the reason why they meant so much for us Christian youth former Christian youth in my case. <laughs> in our case. <laughs> uh, it was because it was the one moment where we were free from the adults and we were able to be kids again. Under the scrutiny of like the church hierarchy or the parents, we were not allowed to be kids. We were just sort of, we had to be Christians. They raised the, 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 the child aspect of our, of our identity. Over there, we were able to be with other youth, laugh, have fun. But then there was a moment where fun was not to be had, and that's when a lot of us, you know, myself included, um, that were identified or started to question our sexuality, felt that we were targeted. Um, and I think it was very easy to target those those kids because they were seen as the weakest link, the one you can actually go towards and say what you're doing is wrong, whereas the other types of demons weren't just as easily identifiable. It's visible. Yeah, exactly, because it's like the only thing that is tangible and has like some sort of a, some sort of a, a behavioral oh, yeah. evidence. And I was one of those kids. I was telling you earlier as an anecdote <laughs> that um, I was not at all masculine. I, I was not feminine, but I was definitely, it definitely wasn't hanging out with the rough kids. And while I was obviously targeted, there were other kids who were very effeminate. And I remember at a church service where also someone said, you know, demon of homosexuality, leave the body of, of yeah, the servant of Christ. <laughs> it's a common one. Mm -hmm. The thing is that what he did for the entire population on the, on the retiro, on the, uh, on the retreat, it was that he tainted a very boring reality into this magical setting where now there's a war between good and evil, and we are part of, the, of that of that yeah. of that um, battle. And there's a narrative that's being established, right? And you're a children, or you're a teenager, right. and you have these um, power figures telling you that uh, this is how the battle it, it's you know this is how we do it, and this is the good, this is the bad, and of course it you know it, it influences the way that these participants began understanding life and minorities and people that are just you know, if a pastor tells you that you have to go and take the demon out of this poor kid 
what are you going to do for the rest of your life when you see someone who's a minority? Right. You're going to think that it's your duty to do something you know, against that, to take action. But it also teaches you that there's a level of superiority. That somehow, because you're a Christian, you have a divine power and authority and like, yeah. to do something against others. And that is something that is embedded in you because the way to manipulate people through Christianity is by breaking them down and then building them up. But you're a servant of Christ and you have a duty, a spiritual duty to make things right. Yeah, and I mean, it's complex, you know, there are different de denominations, um, it's, a, it's a very complex scenario, but yeah, and in its essence, you know, imagine like, you know, think about these, these children, right? Um, you're giving them the power to have uh, a say into a friend's life, you know, so you're giving them this little piece of, of, of duty of you know work that you have to do it's it's a basic pedagogical tool to tell someone you have a a duty to do and this is and and that's i mean like this is when you go into the kindergarten they say like yeah. well your first job is to this and you're like oh i have a job i'm like a big person and i i gotta do this you know i gotta do this and the, and that is a very like common um strategy to make someone feel important And um, we're going to talk about later, we're going to talk about what you mentioned. Not all, all these denominations are the same, nor do they all have an anti-LGBTQ agenda uh, when we come back. Oh, we're back. Okay, so again, episode nine of uh, Catatonia. I, uh, I, folks, honestly, I, I didn't even know I was gonna get this far. When I started Catatonia, I, I figured, you know, I'll, I'll do this because I need to write about what's or, or talk about what's happening in Puerto Rico, and you know, beautifully enough, on um, the last couple of months, um, a lot of folks have joined, and I think we all need to. Uh, Uh, we all just felt like the, ha the the voice of Puerto Rico was amplified somehow in different um, in different spaces, and one of those voices is here with me. <laughs> Her name is Alejandra Rosa, as I said earlier, and um, she just wrote uh, an incredible piece of literature about the LGBTQ community in Puerto Rico. I want Alejandra to talk a little bit about this this article. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Oscar. Well, basically, so the article's title is From the Church to the Capital. And uh, I am exploring how has the conservative sector of Puerto Rico and uh, the biggest anti-LGBT organization on the island, which is Puerto Rico por la Familia, how, how have they influenced the, the political agenda of the, of the last years, uh, both from a public policy perspective but also from a, a discursive perspective, right? Uh, I'm interested in exploring and identifying the voices that portray the effect that this uh, influence uh, has had. And, you know, but also listening to uh, and reading the official sources, exploring the data, exploring the numbers, the statistics. So I, I won't say that it is a piece uh, that's 
specifically saying this is this is wrong or this is right it's just a piece that it's truly aiming to to present a holistic perspective of what it's the quest right now against LGBT rights uh, and how does the church the conservative church uh, relates to that I think uh, you sense it's something that really um, rang true to me I read the piece and it's the voices there's something you do really well is that you let these uh, folks on either side of the topic speak and they speak very eloquently um, I can imagine them I can see them and it becomes their story you're very present in the story it feels like you're walking in of a door saying you know presenting what you saw but then you close that door and all of a sudden I, I can see and I can hear them and then what I liked about the story is that you also have this very important data that I believe you source yourself, which is kind of <laughs> incredible because yeah. one of the things in Puerto Rico, as you've seen, if you look at, uh, our, uh, at our history, is that we are not very good at keeping record. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Institute of Statistics of Puerto Rico has had a, a problem uh, sorting you know, their, their data, including you know, the death that happened after the hurricane. Yeah. They had to sue to get that data. Mm -hmm. But in other aspects, sometimes data is just not available. Or if it's available, it's it's in, in, in physical form, so it's hard to put in digital form. Yeah, and many times it doesn't exist. You know? Or sometimes it doesn't exist. Um, so you, 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 you source the data, you input the data, but it doesn't feel like I'm reading a sociological report. <laughs> it, it feels like I'm reading a very personal account with heart, but also with distance. Um, now, let's talk about the characters. <laughs> I want, first of all, this, the story, what's the art, the, it comes out in which article? I mean, in which uh, newspaper, which uh, publication? It comes out in Skalawak Magazine, um, which is published both electronically, uh, skalawakmagazine.org, okay. and it's also printed and distributed in the south of the US, mm -hmm. so if you go to their social media platforms, you can subscribe to the magazine and just have a- And it's gonna issue. be in September, In right? September, yeah, in the fall issue. So the fall issue of uh, of the of the of um, of this uh, Skalawak magazine, um, we're gonna actually put one on the page, uh, the cover, so you can see it. You know where to find it. We're gonna we're gonna direct you to get it. Um, in case you forget, we're recording from Harlem, New York, so you're gonna see you're gonna hear some some uh, noises. Actually, we were joking that I'm trying to turn my bedroom into a studio, and all you listeners know that. I record from many parts and sometimes, you know, successfully or not, but hey, keeping it real. <laughs> so, um, but, so when I read this story, I cried. And I think, I think um, it wasn't uh, because it was emotionally heavy. It was because you did a good job portraying these folks. And um, it felt, it felt like you were putting a lot of effort into how these folks uh, were presented to the world, and I, I believe that's very, very important because as a narrative journalist, um, we have to be careful when we talk about traumatic issues. You mm -hmm. know, whether you, in, in whatever side of the of the of the topic you are, whether you're against LGTB or in favor of LGTB rights, yeah. um, you have to be very careful that these people don't feel like they're being traumatized when they when they come out. And I felt like you were very, very fair. Um, you you provided a quote for me, and I want you to read that, and I want you to tell me, you know, what it was going through your mind in that part of the uh, of the article. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it it says, the stories range from a teacher bullying an eight year old transgender kid in front of her classmates, 
to a transgender woman being mutilated by a man to prevent her from sharing that he was that he was attracted to her. So, talk to me about about that, um, and and what can you share uh, with us, you know, without giving away too much of your interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. Writing this piece was uh, emotion emotionally um, challenging. Sure. You know, it was intense. So, um, but yeah, these so these part of the story, um, trying to bring to the story the the voice of this transgender woman that I interviewed. Um, and uh, she received me in her home in Carolina. It was a night. I told her that I was writing this story and that I was trying to identify voices that could speak to the needs and challenges of the LGBT community. Um, so I, I got there with my notebook and I sat down. She received me um, and she started speaking about how, you know, what was her story. She, she's Right now she's a leader and it was uh, very interesting because when I arrived there, to be honest, I thought that they had given me her name because she was uh, a leader so that she knew the community. So she could um, tell me anecdotes of other folks of the LGBT community. I didn't know that she had herself like a story mm, to tell. Okay. Um, so she just started... So you weren't emotionally prepared for that interview. So I wasn't. <laughs> I, I really wasn't. Um, I mean, it. I tried to be, but I... I, I I, I wasn't. It's I, I. Are you ever ready? You know. Exactly. Good point. Good point. <laughs> it's, because it's sometimes how, you come you, with all the all the tools, and when you go there, something happens that throws you off. You know. Um, so I sat down, and as I sat down, I realized that she she after she told me the the she shared stories of um, how the trans community is very vulnerable right now and everything, um, and she there was a silent a silence, um, and she said so. Um, can I tell you my story? And I was, of course, yeah. Um, it, and she told me, do you want some water? You Maybe you you want some water. And I was... In other words, sit down <laughs> and get ready because it's about to get real, real. <laughs> and, I, and by that time, we've been already talking like for an hour, right? So I was, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take some water. And she sat down. Um, and I have to say... Um, for for everybody to imagine her, it's she's not. Uh, you look at her and she looks strong, you know, um, powerful and happy. And look, uh, I'm, I'm here. Um, so it's not like a weakened character that's speaking you about to share her story. It's it's a strong character, right? But she has a story. Um, and she began speaking, and she she tells me, okay, so do you want do you see this this? And she um, takes her hand to her ear. And I see that there's a huge scar, and it's, it's, a, it's a, mutilated, a mutilated ear. And I, of course, took a sip of water. <laughs> um, and, wow. and she starts telling me, well, um, so I'm a survivor of a physical attack that happened to me a couple of years. Um, let me, and she tells me, I'm, I've said this story many times, but I'm going to walk you through it because I want you to understand what happened because my story is just representative of other stories um, and people need to know and you're a journalist, so I'm going to tell you. 
um, I was in my home. She she tells me, uh, this is uh, let's let's do a flashback, you and I. And she starts narrating. I was at my home. I received this message. Uh, it was from this man who had uh, contacted me before. He he was sort of interested in something, and I wasn't. So I stopped answering back his calls and texts. But, you know, I consider him as a, a friend. So he called, and I, I took the phone call. And uh, he was asking me for help. He was, I need help with this. Can you please help me? So I stepped out of my home. I remember her, I remember her like very clearly telling me, oh, my mom used to tell me that once you're home and it's late night and you're about to go to bed, it doesn't matter if the world ends, you just don't go out. And I, I hope I will have listened to my mama's voice, but I didn't. So I went out and uh, he, he, we, we meet each other, he's in my car, I'm driving, no, uh, we're in the same car. And we realize, I, I realize that suddenly we are like in a part of Santurce in San Juan that I'm not familiarized with. And I'm, I told him like, hey, wh what are we? Why, why are we here? And he stopped the car, uh, or the car, you know, it stopped. And he reached out to me. I resist. And I told him I'm not interested. And we start sort of like fighting a little bit. And then I, I say, you know what, I'm leaving this place, so if it, I'm going to walk back home. So I stepped out of the car and began um, walking out of nowhere, Santurce, Puerto Rico, very light, very late, um, past, um, you know, past midnight. And what I see, it's uh, like a shadow. And when I look, he has a knife in his hand and he starts trying to, uh, you know, to cut me. And we fight. I'm strong. I'm big. And so I resist. Um, in one of those um, attempts to, to hurt me, um, he, he gets my ear, which is why I have this that I show you. Um, I start running. I hide in Santurce. I, I had in a corner. It was like a nightmare. I remember it very, very well. And he, I could hear him like coming after me and he would be like, hey, I'll find you, I'll find you. Oh um, I'll find you. I just like stood in a corner in a room. He gets in the part where I am. I, I keep running and then a point comes where we come to the corner of a, a street and we're in that corner and I was already so tired. I have the knives, um, the knife cuts that I already had because he, he didn't only cut my ear, right? He hurt me in other ways and he, he hit me. Um, so at this the point comes to this um, and I'm here in this corner and there's no exit. So I say to myself, well, I, I have no, I, 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 I have no strength, so I have to lay down. He comes there, starts hitting me um, in ways that, you know, it, they still hurt. Um, and you know what? People say that when you're about to die, your audition sharpens and that you hear everything. And guess what, I, sweetie? I, I believe that's true because I didn't feel any strength in my body, but I could hear every single thing. The sound of the night, the coquilles around, um, and just that like silent, uh, that, that, that Puerto Rican silence, you know, that's never silence. It always has like other stuff. It has like the, the sea like on the background or like the car passing by or, or the radio of the abuela sounding by in a little station. Um, so because of that, I listened to the, I, I listened that a door it's open and I, when I listen that a door is open, I start 
like trying to say something you know in my head i was screaming but i i knew i was you know i was just like help help but i i didn't even knew like how loud were my screams because i honestly thought that i was gone 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 almost gone but apparently maybe because of the silence of the night um they uh, the lady that opened the door listened and she came and she started screaming like hey what are you doing ¿Qué tú haces? Deja la quieta. what are you doing leave her alone and then the person that's hitting me just he he he, he went you know he, he he got scared i guess and he he runs away and well the the, the lady helped me she called the ambulance and uh, I, I almost died. I mean, I was at the hospital, uh, very, very injured. Um, but I'm here. I'm here. And uh, so, yeah, I, I hope you're enjoying your glass of water. <laughs> you have completely let you be possessed by um, using that word by the spirit of this woman and that is so beautiful i mean like you close your eyes i want these people that hear this she closed your <laughs> eyes and all of a sudden she became this woman and she's describing i mean i'm in awe i'm like my i think i'll put just like look, look um you said something really 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 powerful you said that she said i want to tell my story and sometimes people that went through trauma the only way we can be good journalists is by giving them the microphone, by telling them tell your their, tell your story. Yeah, we're instruments. We are instruments, yeah. and I think that that is. I mean, this people don't understand the 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 part journalists play when they're covering trauma, in re recovering. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we become, you know, a an instrument, a voice, a passage for them to express themselves. We're starting the healing process for them, not by being their advocates, but by being their forum for, for their, a, instrument. For their instrument. Their instrument. I. Yeah. Their how instrument. did she feel afterwards when you when you went after the interview was done? How did she? How what was what did she? What was there her was there semblance? was so you will think that it will be like a very dark or sad setting, but she she was like relief. Wow. Relief. Yeah. She um. And it's not uh, something that I that it's rare in the type of interviews that I've, I've realized recently. Um, for example, I was in Puerto Rico like during the hurricane, and uh, a week after the hurricane, I will be in the streets working as a freelancer, and uh, people people wanted to tell their stories, um, and they felt at the end, you know, they were like, oh, someone's listening to me. Um, I was at this conference at the Pulitzer Center a couple of weeks ago, and I remember this journalist saying, never underestimate people's desire or hunger, if it's one of those, to tell their stories. This was the first part in a series of podcasts regarding the LGBTQ plus community in Puerto Rico. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back for the next episode in which we will also discuss this topic with Alejandra Rosa, the journalist and producer from Puerto Rico. Thank you again to Elian Perez, Joaquin Cardoso, Adrian Bridges for the music, and for all of you guys that are out there listening to Catatonia and commenting and being part of this forum. I'm so grateful to have you be part of this this incredible um, experience that as you can see it it, 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 it keeps growing we keep uh, recording here from Harlem, New York and 
Um, it's been an incredible journey and one that apparently takes many roads and I'm very happy to have you guys with me and accompanying me in this in this trip. So thank you again. See you soon with our next uh, second episode of, of Catatonia regarding the LGBTQ plus community in Puerto Rico.